Alright, good afternoon everybody. Welcome back to the Beauty and the Beast Physical Therapy and Strength Conditioning Podcast. I am joined as always by my co-host, Dr. Ross Childs. How's it going everyone? Hope everyone has enjoyed the summer-like weather that we've had the last couple weeks. I know I have. It's just been good for my mental health and uh, then it all changed. Got cold out and it was 20-something degrees last night, so I guess I enjoyed it well. Well, I could. What's new in the world of Adam? Not a whole lot. Same stuff, different week. Mm. Working on the business stuff, and I, you know, just kind of keeping moving with that. Were you, so so we both own our own businesses. When you ventured out on your own, and you were doing the some of the training stuff before, so you kind of probably already had an idea, but did you realize how much you were going to have to work on the business and not just in the business? Um, I had some clue. I guess that <clears throat> I guess what I'm I'm realizing more is how much is I thought it was going to be a lot more. I don't know if straightforward is the right way to put it, but I figured I was going to be working on the business. I didn't feel like I was going to be doing quite so much. Uh, does this work? How about this? How about this? Mm-hmm. How about this? Just in terms of like getting meeting new clients and stuff like that obviously the strength conditioning stuff that's not a uh that's not a mix and match i've been doing that for a long time but just the finding new people and all that sort of stuff i guess i didn't expect there to be quite so much trial and error as there is i figured it would just be more straightforward work Uh, we'd have to assume that if it were straightforward and rather easy everyone would try to start a business so (laughs) but yeah i think that was the biggest transition for me the marketing the sales um you know, just the, the not knowing every day, the, the seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work. I know for me, I was getting a little too ahead of myself in the beginning by doing too many things at once. And it was a matter of just slowing it down and let me try this idea first. But yeah, working uh, on the business certainly takes up a lot of time. However, I would rather work 100 hours a week for myself yeah, than 40 hours a week for someone else. Yep. So um, again, that's as one of the huge positives but enough about us so uh this week we want to go back to our strength training series uh we did it last year and we're kind of keeping it seasonal more so than anything uh and with the winter upon us we figured it'd be a great time to talk about strength training or at least the the emphasis of strength training for skiers now a lot of the information may not change from some of the other sports we've talked about we've we've talked about uh, runners specifically and a lot of that is going to be pretty consistent. Now, when we look at the, the act of skiing, and, and more specifically, we're talking more downhill skiing, there are some nuances to cross country and if they're doing slalom and Nordic, things along those lines. But uh, most of the recommendations, and Adam, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, are going to be geared around downhill, just to, yes. keep it, just to keep it simple. And if anyone has any, any questions about a specific style of skiing, then, then certainly feel free to reach out to us. But... When, when we look at skiing, and I hear this quite often, and, and you probably hear it quite often too, you get the people that work out 51 weeks out of the year with that anticipation of the first week of skiing, and they say, I did a couple runs and my body was sore, my legs were killing me, I don't get it, I just worked out. What do you say to those individuals? Give it another, give it another session. Yeah. Or a, a, another, uh, another trip. 
I grew up skiing. Um, I've skied since I was like three years old. And, and every year it was the same thing. No matter from when I was a kid all the way up into college, even into my more, uh, my more modern strength training years, that first day out always sucked. Yeah. I don't want to say sucked because it's still fun to get out there on the mountain, but I just mean like you, you would expect that, you know, you're not getting halfway down and your quads are burning and stuff like that. And everybody's different, but there's no, there's no way to perfectly mimic any exercise other than doing it or any sport, I should Correct. say, other than doing it. Correct. And so, yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, so you can, you can prepare as hard as you want and that doesn't that first day just because your quads are burning and you're out of breath halfway down when normally you would go the entire the entire uh, trail without having to stop yeah. doesn't mean that the next time you go it's not just going to be like you never left off it just it's your body readjusting to the specific demand that you're asking it to do exactly you know and a lot of people forget that or they just think, oh, I'm going to be fine until next year. So we want to try to bridge that gap a little bit. So that's kind of the two ends of the spectrum. But skiing, like running, like swinging a golf club, like shoveling, like reaching overhead and anything, washing windows that are overhead, these are all very, very specific tasks. And they require a certain specificity of motor skill and recruitment that if we don't do it all the time, you're just not going to be good at it. So I would expect you to go be sore. I would expect you to have delayed onset muscle soreness for five to seven days. In one month, you won't notice it. In two months, you're gonna be pretty friggin' efficient at it. In three months, you, you won't even have that soreness. And then, ski season's over, you have another, we'll say eight months for easy math, nine months, to decondition yourself to the act of skiing and guess what? It's gonna happen all over again. So, very, very normal. Our goal with today is one, try to give you ideas for exercises to minimize the soreness or at least speed up the reconditioning process, but also prevent some injuries from occurring because there are some subtle nuances to skiing too that Adam and I have talked about that people just under train in general. Um, so we'll, we'll hit upon those today. Now, Adam, we've talked about how running is a, is a north-south action. Mm -hmm. and, and I think we can say, again, general concept, skiing is pretty much the same. You go to the top of the mountain, you go down. Mm -hmm. North-south, there is some subtle nuances with kind of the east-to-west stuff. Yeah. What are the more common injuries that, that you'll see with skiers? Uh, usually usually hip-related stuff. Um, usually it's, it, I mean, like, unless somebody has a fall, I'm not including falls and stuff like that, because those are obvious. You get your ski caught, you turn ACL, MCL, the, the terrible triad or whatever yeah. the hell it's called. Um, that stuff, like, fine, that, that happens. But just from recreational skiers who are sore after, it's usually hip stuff, in my experience, yeah. hip or back. I'd say those, and then, you know, typically depending on the tightness of their calves, they're probably going to have a little bit of knee discomfort yeah, just because yeah. they're locked up. Um, but these are these are just common. Um, now, with the hips, why do you think that's the case? Well, I think it's a combination of not having the, the lateral stability and strength. Because if you're, if you're, and I'll kind of tie this into the other reason I think it is, 
if you're downhill skiing and you've been downhill skiing for a long time, I mean, even if you're not, even if you haven't been, you don't go straight down, right? It's not forward and it is forward and back in the fact that you are moving forward. But if you're going down a hill, you're alternating from side to side, right? Whether you're a novice skier who's pizzaing the whole way down, for those of you that ski, you know what I mean, yeah. or whether you're the more advanced one that's actually turning on their edges all the way down. Either way, you have a lot of lateral hip movement that's happening or strength that needs to be there. Um, from the back, I tend to see it more from people that are tight in general. Mm. And I tend to think it has to do with their their rotate their hip and their thoracic rotational ability. Because for anybody that's skied for long periods of time, it's probably heard the, the um, adage, whatever you want to call it, like, your shoulders stay downhill, your hips move underneath. So you're, you stay facing pretty much down the hill the whole time, and what's actually moving is from your belly button down, right? Mm-hmm. You know, whatever, within yeah. reason. So if you don't have the ability to, if you're getting more play from your hips and your lumbar spine than you are from your thoracic, then you can have more back pain. And, and just like back pain related to your hips doing a lot of work and being tired. Correct. Um, just like any other, you know, you do a ton of squats and my back hurts, but then you hit a use lacrosse ball or a foam roller on your glutes and all of a sudden your back feels better. Just yeah. similar stuff. Yeah, I typically find just that hip hinge position that skiers take. Some people, they just have a loss of range of motion there, so they end up rounding, and then you have the other people with the, uh, the increased curve in their back. Mm-hmm. So their goal is to keep chest up, so then the only problem is they just hinge right at their back. Um so I, I would agree it's definitely the the back, the hips, and then I'd throw the, the knee in there afterwards. But I think you brought up a good point with the lateral strength and stability. Because people are, are not considering that an aggressive lateral motion. And I mean, you watch anyone ski, you, you'll see them move pretty aggressively from side to side on their edges, but they don't train it that way. Mm-hmm. So they keep everything in, in a north-south fashion. I'd say for the most part, People, when they work out, just your recreational skier, who's also a recreational lifter, they'll do squats. Yep. Maybe they'll do lunges. They're really not doing split squats. If they're going to a place like Planet Fitness or even the zoo, they'll probably throw in a leg press because they think that's important. And then maybe you'll see knee extension, knee curls. Yeah. All straight plane exercises. Nothing nothing that even remotely comes close to the, the lateral plane or side to side. If you had to choose one side to side exercise or one uh, lateral exercise, which one exercise would you think is most important and why? People are probably sick of me using this as an example, but lateral squat, lateral lunge all day. Um, I mean, you can do other stuff like lateral jumps and things like that, but in terms of strictly strength, uh, I like lateral lunges, single leg deadlifts, stuff like that, stuff I've said before. Because if you, if you watch somebody ski, actually ski, um, your feet are almost never on an even plane. If you're going downhill and you're turning right, so you're turning, if you want to call it back up the hill, but just for the sake of uh, visual example, if you're turning back up the hill to your right, your right leg is going to be more bent, that hip is going to be more flexed, whereas the left leg is going to be more extended. Not, you know, the left leg isn't completely straight and the right, right leg is extended, but the point is is that you are 
on an uneven terrain where one side is more flexed than the other. And then when you flip, it's the same thing, just the opposite. Now yeah. your left leg is more flexed and hip is more flexed and your right leg is a little bit straighter. So things that work to create that hip stability where your feet aren't, you have to have the, the squat strength, you have to have the quad and the glute strength, that has to be there. But you also have to find ways to work those lateral progressions because you're more often going to be in a lateral uh, position yeah. than you are in a strictly strength, uh, excuse me, a uh, strictly bilateral position. Yeah, so and that would be, well, I wouldn't even say bilateral position, but with running, that's more of a straight plane action. Yeah, Granted, right. it's single limb stance or, or single leg jumping over and over again, but um, you know that's a, that's a great point. And as far as uh, lateral lunges, uh, I think they are a great exercise to do. However, most people do them wrong. Well, yes, yeah. So, and that's that's part of the problem with it. Why do you think most people do lateral lunges wrong? I think it's it's a it's a complicated complicated might not be the, awkward is a better way to put it. It's an awkward setup for most people, and learning it's an awkward setup. Not everybody has the hip range of motion to be able to do them in a correct fashion. Mm -hmm. um, and more often than not, people either set up with their feet way too wide or way too close. Correct. You know, it's, it's something that is very helpful as long as you know how to do it at least semi-correctly. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think that those are the main reasons. Um, also, people don't necessarily know how to load them effectively. Uh, it can be for people that don't have hip, great hip range of motion or, you know, just great um, like trunk strength or the ability to resist thoracic and lumbar flexion and extension, it can be hard, really hard to weight them in like a goblet position, right? Yeah. So sometimes holding the weight down low helps people get into a better position where they can really sit back away from the weight rather than having to get their butt, force through it to get their butt as low if they have it in a goblet position. For those of you that don't know what I mean by goblet, I mean like holding it up at the chest versus holding it with the arms straight down. Yeah. Um, so I think those are two. I think mobility and just it can be an awkward setup if you've never done them before and aren't sure exactly how to set up. Yeah, and I'd say one of the other very, very common mistakes people make with a lateral lunge is they try to keep their torso upright. Yes, yep. That, and I, I haven't figured out why. And I don't know if that's just people thinking vertical spine or chest up, um, but the only problem is then they can't sit their hips back. Right. And then the knee shoots too far forward. The knee shooting forward to me is not the problem. Right. It's the shooting forward, and then they get that weird rotation around the knee. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, we need to fix this. But uh, I, I would say once you can get people recognizing that the ankle has to bend, the knee has to bend, the hip and the trunk need to bend, uh, then they kind of just fold up like an accordion, and, and, and they tend to do well. Um, the narrow stance is another common one that I'll see. I don't know, people just don't like having a wider base support. Yeah. Um, I'd probably say that's more common than a wider stance. I agree. Which I'm okay with a wider stance. It's just now you're limiting your range of motion and you're not getting the true benefit. So it is always finding, finding that sweet spot. Now, some other side-to-side -side activities that I'll typically give. First, I'll tell you the ones I hate and should not be done for skiers. 
and you could probably already guess them, but side-lying leg raises or oh, um, yeah. clamshells. Yeah. I still see a lot of people doing those. If I'm you know, an 85-year-old person who's sedentary and I need to strengthen my hips, okay, fine. However, we're assuming someone has a certain health status if we're talking about skiing. So I still like doing um, just resisted sidesteps, mm -hmm. having an ankle yep. band. I think those are very effective. I think doing even just one of the bigger rubber bands and doing X-walks yep. I think are fine. And all that is just looping the band around your feet, holding it with your hands, and then just twisting it for resistance. Um, for lateral stability, I like doing uh, single leg deadlifts. Yep. And really the focus is drawn to the knee. So a lot of people would then say, oh, it's a balance exercise. Yes, it's a balance exercise, but something still has to control the hip and the knee, and, and that's gonna be our lateral stabilizers. So as much as I love straight plane lunges for that also, um, I would also say the single leg deadlift, but then also step ups. And again, focusing on that knee position because we know the hip controls the knee position. Mm -hmm. So those are just some very simple ones that, that I think everyone can, can employ. Now, if you had to choose one, one exercise for skiers, you know, we talked about the importance of lateral stability. We'll get into core stuff afterwards. Mm -hmm. If you had to pick one exercise for the skier, and we'll just say lower body, just because it's more lower body dominant. Which exercise are, are you giving? Not as easy as it is. Right, yeah. If we take the, the single leg deadlift and the lateral lunges and that stuff out, maybe a deadlift? I mean, yes, the squats are super important. I don't know if that's where you're, you're leaning. I just want to, um, because everyone's usual answer for something like this, squats, got to be the squats. Yeah. King of the squats. Um, I would want, I would ask though, how often, how often are you in a hinge pattern when you're skiing versus being in a, like a true squat pattern? Like yeah. where your, your hips are at or below 90. Yeah. Outside of being like in a tuck or, you know, maybe if you're a, uh, there's somebody that likes skiing moguls and stuff like sure. that. Your knees are up in your chest, but... Yeah, I, I wouldn't go squat, and that's why... No, I, I wouldn't either. When, when all of a sudden you went quiet, I'm like, all right, good. He's not just going <laughs> to jump in. I was like, because most people would. We'd right. ask that question to someone, squats. Okay, you know, I, I'm not saying you're wrong, but can we make this more functional to, to the task? I like your idea of the deadlift, especially if it's a, a trap bar deadlift. Mm-hmm. Because now you're still getting that knee pattern grooved with the hip pattern yep. if it's done correctly. So I like that a lot. I think that would be a really good exercise for most people. I think things like depth jumps too. Mm -hmm. um, oh, absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, if you really what you're doing every time you switch, yes, you're, yes, you're on your edges. So it's not like an actual, unless you're doing moguls. If you're doing moguls, it's it's literally pretty much a it's, jump yeah, and it's, switch, it's jump and switch. Yes, yeah, different. Completely but, different ball game. But if you're anytime you change directions, you're essentially taking force off or taking pressure off. And then when you've completely changed directions, all that force comes crashing back down on your feet. And then you come, you're lighter. Basically, you're lighter, then you're heavier. Then you're lighter, then you're heavier. So being able to deal with that for that almost in you know in quotes that drop force, yeah. I think would be helpful too. I mean, assuming that they have the strength to do depth jumps. Depth yeah. jumps are not something that I give unless I know the person has the strength to do them. Well, and that ballistic stuff, dynamic stuff, that would be further down the road. Right, so yeah. I don't think there's anything anything wrong with it at all. You know, and even like 
I love box jumps, for example, for mm-hmm. a lot of people. But for a skier, I'm not sure if I would do it because it's not just about raw force. Right. It's also force over time. Yeah. So if someone said to me, you have to choose a jumping activity, I would probably give multiple rounds of broad jumps. Yep. Agree. Yeah, um, I completely agree. Yeah. So, but for every, or everyone hurdles else. or yeah, something yeah, exactly. like that, something like a low hurdle. Do, yeah, over yeah. and over again. So I certainly agree there. But the um, so good. We're in, we're in agreement that the deadlift would be kind of our strength, our big money exercise. Where do you go now for accessory exercises? A lot of that that hip work, that stuff you we were talking about. You know, band walks. Um, you know. I probably wouldn't do like a, a trap bar deadlift, lateral lunge, or single leg deadlift superset. It's just too much, yeah. too much hinge in a row. But if you were to do a deadlift and then cross band, X band walks, or just lateral band walks with the band around the knee, if you were to, you know, do deadlifts and offset it with a with a a hip stretching exercise, you want to do a pigeon stretch for thirty seconds each side, get up, do more deadlifts. Uh, yeah. I like doing ballistic and then following it up with strength sometimes. So yeah. doing a doing a drop jump and then deadlifting. Those drop jumps, not only are you accepting force, but you're also cranking up your neurological system into overdrive. So that way it's easier, in quotes, to pick up a heavier deadlift. You know, yeah. I mean, there's there's little things here and there, but... Well, the, with the depth jump, I was actually thinking a uh, med ball slam. Yep, yep, do, yep. Do that first for one to three, and then go right into your your power exercise or strength exercise. So, and again, it's that neuromuscular priming. You know, get those cross sectional fibers to turn on as fast as you can the motor units, and then in theory, you're going to be stronger for longer. So, yep. now let's say let's say we get someone through, you know, a month, and they they do well with strength. And, and typically, when we're talking about strength, we're giving someone lower repetition so probably no more than than eight at that Mm -hmm. point now you want to start working on their muscular endurance over time what type of an exercise are you going to give stuff that's lower force ballistically but again like you said over time i mean just low impact squat jumps Mm -hmm. and when i say low impact i mean like normally i'm telling people on a squat jump get up as high as you can and control the landing. For something like this, I may be saying, okay, don't worry about getting up as high, but I want you to land soft and get back up as quickly as you can. Land mm-hmm. soft, get back up as quickly as you can. Creating force and learning to control force and send it back the other direction. Stuff like that. Um, lateral jumps, hide and jumps, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. I'd probably say I, as long as someone has the form, I'm okay giving walking lunges. Oh yeah, yep. Now I'm I'm okay with that because one, we're working on asymmetries, so we have right leg versus left now, so we can't get away with it. You have to build up strength, but it is something unloaded. We can send someone do a ton yeah. of reps, and it 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 fucking kills. It burns. It, it yeah. burns. You get cramp in your ass right in the middle of it, so it, <laughs> it's fun. But I was also uh, toying with the idea of uh, God damn it! I was just thinking about it too, and I lost it. It'll it'll come back to me. Shit, it was a good one too. Man, <laughs> I, I can't bring back that magic anymore. Yeah, well, it'll come back. But uh, the endurance portion, uh, you know, it, I think it's lost on a lot of people who only focus on strength. We know that strength is our foundation. That's true across the board. Doesn't matter what sport we're dealing with. 
We have to remember though, it one set of eight repetitions, 20 seconds, maybe 23. How long does it take to get down the mountain? Well, it depends on the mountain, of course, but right. you know, a lot even longer than that. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, at a minimum, you're looking at you know, uh, we'll say 60 seconds plus of work. Yeah. So now you got to start building your body up to that to even get to that same tolerance. And I think squ- uh, lunges are o- okay for that. Squats, I'm not really fond of for for that long, just because I feel like as fatigue goes up, form goes down, you really have the likelihood of hurting yourself. Um, I think you could do things like, I mean, granted, it's not something that people often do for endurance, but if we're if we're just spitballing ideas, you could do things like ladders, things that involve continuous change of not because ladders are going to make you some super skier necessarily, mm-hmm. but it's continued lateral change of direction over and over and sure. over and over again. Um, well, and even if that's the case, then we could even tell people to do like a concept two bike or yep. an echo bike or whatever they choose to call them now just because you can crank out a certain wattage over time yeah now would you want to do it as hard as you can for a minute no that's crazy and insane but that's not necessarily the goal especially where we're assuming none of our listeners want to go out to try out for the olympics right we're not talking super g here yeah we're, yeah, we're, yeah we're talking gunstock pat pat's peak go <laughs> right. have some fun type stuff right. so now we understand the importance of the lateral stability. We've talked about strength. We've talked about exercise that we can use for muscular endurance. I'd say more often than not, people come in and they'll say, but my quads are killing me. Okay, well, we gotta talk about the muscle contraction that's created by that. When we're, when we're skiing, because of the athletic ready position that we're in, it puts an eccentric load on our, on our quads. How can, just your average gym goer work on eccentric loading, slowing down the the down of a rep, uh, of a squat, a lunge, or whatever, um, isometrics too. So like, let's say that you're doing a goblet squat, you're holding the weight up in the. So again, weight at the chest, and you squat down. Maybe it takes you. Maybe you take three or four seconds to get down to the bottom, and then you come back up quick. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that, or just like wall sits. Um, Wall sits are, a, are an excellent exercise for that. Functionally, it's a terrible way to teach the squatting pattern. It's, it is. However, if we're looking at activation of your quads, holy shit, yeah. it's amazing. Like the, you, it, Everything screams. Right. The good thing about that too, or well, I don't know if good is the right, but it, it, act, it fits well because in, a, in most ski boots, your ankle's fixed. Yeah. So it's not too big of a problem, but yeah, it, it definitely if you're not... If you're not using it as a squat pattern per se. Yeah. What's the, uh, I'm sure you've seen it on social media because that's where I've seen it a ton, ton of times. That I, I don't know if it's called a sissy squat. Yes. What's the other uh, name for it? I've, I like, I like Spanish squat. Spanish. Better. Spanish. Um, just because like, I, I hate the, I hate the term sissy squat. I, but I can't, I can't get over the benefit like, I, I'm still wrapping my head around it. Like, oh, it increases quad activation. It takes stress off here. What I like about the... What I like about the... I, I don't know if technically a Spanish squat is with... I've only ever seen Spanish squats done with a band. Yeah. So I don't know if Spanish squats yeah, are done so with a band them. and sissy squats are done with the with the actual thing that you that you lock your feet into. Man, didn't Wasn't there a social media video of some guy that ripped his ACL? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah, and you just saw the tibia slide forward. Yep, that was disgusting. 
Um, the only thing that I've liked about the that I liked about the Spanish squats specifically is it's easier to it's easier to get lower because the band pulls your knees forward without you necessarily having to actively do it. Um, the only other thing I liked about it is when you get up to the top, you have to squeeze a little bit harder to stay stable because sure. the band is pulling on, you forward. Yeah, it can work on terminal knee extension. Yeah, but, but I don't. But let, don't get don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that I would do that over any of the other exercises that we've talked about so far. No, and but I know a lot of a lot of PTs on social media that swear by it, and they're like, "Oh, you have knee pain? Do the Spanish squat." And then I watch it, and I'm like. How the fuck is that helping? I don't understand. Yeah, I don't understand how that. Well, and they were like patellofemoral pain syndrome. Do the do the Spanish squat. Now I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. The only thing that would it would it affect the lengthening of the quad itself because the knee can't go forward to offset the lengthening of the quad. Like, could you could you be creating a more? I don't want to say a stronger eccentric force, but is there more? Is there more tissue elongating because the knee isn't move isn't tracking forward? It would have to be because the, the that's the only thing I can think the, of. The trunk is still more vertical with those types of squats. Right. So you're, I guess you're you're theoretically increasing the the tissue lengthening on the eccentric portion. May I'm just I'm just spitballing. Yeah, to, I don't to know. To me if, though, that causes more compression at the kneecap. Right. Right. Um, that's what so, I would think too. So that that completely goes against treating patellofemoral pain syndrome. Right. So, I, I don't know. If you want to activate the quads, just elevate your goddamn heels. Right, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And do a goblet squat and prop it up under a bumper plate. There you go. That's all you need. Yeah. I mean, think about, you know, weightlifting shoes, for example. You bypass the, the calf. You raise the heel a little bit. You can activate the quads. Then you sit a little bit lower to activate your hamstrings to get you out of the bottom position. Right. So, I, I would much rather see that, but I, would, I just wanted to get your opinion. I... I Never used it. Don't want to. Never will. I mean, it's um, definitely more. It definitely forces you to move, use your quads a little. You, I mean, yeah, when I've done it, that's what I felt. But I don't. But that. Well, that's, that's that's like saying using a leg extension versus doing a squat. You know what I mean? Is it really better? Yeah. I don't think so. But I don't know if you're only looking at activation. But I don't right. Know, I, I I just can't. I'll have to chew on it a little bit to kind of make myself believe it's beneficial. But I, I can't. Unless you can prove to me that's going to increase performance, then I'm not going to choose it over anything else I already have people do. So um, just just food for thought. That's really it. Um, again, I like lunges for eccentric loading. I just think it's an easy place to do it. If someone can control it, I think... I don't think the deadlift would be a great place where I'd look at eccentric loading in the trap bar. I'm never a huge fan of eccentric loading on a, on a bilateral dead... I mean... I don't have anything necessarily against it, but in terms of, I guess maybe if you went lighter to focus specifically on the eccentric, but I'd almost rather you go back is going to get messed yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah, a yeah. squat, it's easier to load eccentrically because now, due to the line of gravity plus weight, yeah, you know your axis is falling more in the in the middle to the heel of the foot, so you don't have to worry about it. But the oh, second th- you you pitch forward, it's all that it's just going to get cranked in your oh, spine. Right. You know what would probably be a good one actually is something like a just like a single leg a single leg bridge. Like your shoulders on the bench, yeah. other leg out straight, you're able to control that eccentric okay. force, the hamstring, the glute, but Yeah, modified hip thruster. Yep, exactly. But yeah, you're so I think that would be a good one. Yeah. 
Yeah. You have and to control that lateral movement of the hips so that the other leg doesn't or the other hip doesn't drop when you come down. Mm-hmm. You have to stay stable. Yeah. And what's good about that because you're at that depth, you're not going to hit the ground. Right. So now you're building up not just uh, eccentric control but endurance over time. So I think that would be a good one to do as well. Yeah. So I like that one. We've talked about hip stability, we've talked about strength, we've talked about endurance, we've talked about eccentric loading. Now it's the the dreaded core stability. Now, again, we know my love for farmer's carries. Mm -hmm. If someone said, how do I build this up? Farmer's carry, you're also getting endurance there. Awesome, we're gonna take farmer carries off the table. Yeah. Because we picked that for everything. (laughs) If you had to choose three core exercises or three exercises that you're aimed at strengthening the core, what three would they be? Chops, raises, or reverse chops. And for taking farmer's carries off the table, hmm. Maybe something like a basic plank, depending on the person. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of a better third one. Chops and raises, one and two, 100%. Um, and I can I can explain why I specifically put those ones so high. Uh, I'm trying to think, what's another good one? Oh, I remembered. Uh, Paloff press. Paloff press. Yeah. So I remembered what I was going to say for muscular endurance. Okay, yeah, uh, go for uh, it. Sled push. Light oh, weight. yep, yep. Yeah, I yep. had it, and I'm like, man, yep, this one's going to be so one. good, and then I completely <laughs> forgot it. Yep. Um, but sled push. But you can do good. lateral sled drags too. Stuff. Like, I mean, it's a little bit harder to set up unless you have the right equipment. But it. Yeah. But I know what you mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that would work fantastic. Yep. So I think the sled would be great. Yeah. Especially in the off season, like when you can do it outside on on grass that's actually suitable for, and just go like a hundred yards. Yeah. Like you're going to be puking by the time you get to the end of it, and you don't need that much weight on there. Right. It's pretty awesome. Uh, I would say Paloff Press is right up there, pretty yeah. high for me. And what I like about that is you can change your base of support. So mm-hmm. you can use a regular stance, wide stance, single leg stance. I think that's good. You can go into a lunge position, um, a squat position. So I think there's far far too many variations to not do a Paloff Press. So I certainly like that one. Now, the, the plank, again, it's a non-functional exercise. Yeah. It recruits the muscles. So I, I would probably be more inclined to do like a anti-extension press. Yeah. Half kneeling, tall kneeling, standing, doesn't matter to me. Double arm, single arm. I just think you get a lot of controlling of extension and rotation. So I think that would be beneficial. So Paloff, anti-extension. Uh, let's see. So anti-rotation, anti-extension, anti-lateral flexion. This is probably a case where if someone can tolerate it, a side plank. Yep. You know, and whether you do that, I don't know, the, whatever the Sorensen's adductor. Oh, blah, yeah. The, blah, blah. Like the Copenhagen yeah. type. Yeah. It's, I don't know if that, I don't know what this, that's how I know. I don't Copenhagen, know. yeah. Sorensen's yeah, a low back extensor test. Okay. Um, yeah. Non American. That's all we need to know. What, yeah, whatever. Um, but I think that would be a decent one. And, mm-hmm. and for those athletes, I think that Copenhagen one is fine. Yeah. Now, when you take a non-athlete and you do that Copenhagen test, I think it's ridiculous because someone's going to end up popping their groin. Yeah. Um, but for someone who's skiing, start off in a modified position, mm-hmm. even if it's on their knees, and I think that's fine. But I think a side plank yep. would would be fine because I'm not worried about the, the groin strength at that time. I just want, can we hold that lateral position against gravity? So even though it go, kind of goes against my thought process of it being functional, that's one of those core exercises that I'm certainly okay with. 
or I could end up having someone do uh, anti-lateral flexion press. Mm -hmm. So either way, we're hitting all the different planes. But I do like how you were choosing more of the, the chops and the, uh, the lifts because instead of just controlling motion, you're controlling plus creating. Right. So you're going through the entire motions. You're stabilizing where you should. You're mobilizing where you should. So functionally, I think you get the most bang for your buck with that. Um, someone could also learn to do those in standing positions, yep. split stance positions, half kneeling positions, tall kneeling positions. Again, far, far too many benefits of doing those to not do them. I've just seen so many people butcher them. Well, right, yes. And it's just, you know, not not that I'm doing all the exercises correctly, but when I say butcher them, I mean bad. Yeah, not, right. Not just a mistake here or there, but it's like you shouldn't even be doing these. That's embarrassing type right. bad. <laughs> now, are there any other nuances to skiing that you think we need to discuss from a strength training perspective? Not from a strength training perspective. I think we've hit a lot of, of those. I think it's just important to realize how much better you can be and how much quicker you'll get over the soreness and the, all that sort of stuff if you're more mobile, too. Oh, I mean, granted, that, that goes with anything. But the reason that I you know think chops, raises, etc., et assuming you're doing them correctly, is, is back to what I was saying in the beginning, is you, your body... Like we talk about planks and we talk about farmers carries and the, like your body works as one solid piece. It anti-rotates, it anti-flexes, all that anti-extends, all mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. But you also have to be able to control your body as two separate pieces. Yep. You know, your hips, you're, you have to be able to move at the hips in opposite directions without going into spasm or, you know, just... You know, it's funny. I was thinking this when I was, you know, playing soccer last week, and I'm watching this one particular kid run, and I'm like, "Why does this kid look so? He like athletic. He moves fast when he's moving straight forward, but what about it looks so weird?" And I realized it's anytime he changes direction, his whole body. Sorry about that. His whole body has to turn with him. There's no. Uh. So when he goes to when he goes for the ball. His whole body has to turn versus pushing off. And you see actually the sink of the joints. You know, yeah. the, the hip starts the rotation, then the shoulders follow, then the knee, then the turn, then the go. It's the same thing with skiing. It's a lot harder to ski if you're basically in a squat position, but you're just hopping and facing different directions. Yeah. Uh. It just, I'm sure it looks very robotic, but I was thinking at the end of... Uh Super Troopers, when the kid's walking back and forth and they start whipping like a fire extinguisher. Yes! And goes, doing, doing, yeah. but that turn just reminded <laughs> me of that. Uh, Super Troopers, great movie if no one's seen it. Yeah. It's uh, phenomenal. Um, you brought up a good point about mobility because we know that skiing is going to tighten us down, so ankles should be mobile even though they're going to be locked into a boot. Right. Knees should be strong. Hips should be mobile. We should have a stable core that can function to task. That's the important part. But then also having stronger upper body as well becomes super important. You know, yep. especially a strong upper back. I think goes a long way. You know, it's going to offset the weight of the helmet at, that you're wearing. It's also going to help the offset of your trunk just wanting to kind of round forward. So postural based exercises. We can't forget about strengthening the upper body as well. If you're only focusing on lower body, there's a solid chance you're still going to get injured because now there's large asymmetries throughout the body and it just can't function the way that it should. So, uh, you know, 
the closer you would get to skiing, it would turn to full body strengthening. You'd probably work on other specific things like power, uh, something dynamic to build more force as well. But again, it doesn't have to be like bodybuilding style training. No. And then even when someone is in skiing season, I still think one to two days a week of strength training is important to keep up with it. Absolutely. You know, the all of us, we, we all do it. We get to a certain season. And then we stop doing the strength training because we think, oh, playing X is enough. Nope. Wrong. I mean, we, we know that your strength can plummet 40% throughout a season. And then if you're able to keep up with strength training, you can actually maintain 85% of the strength right. just by training one day a week. So we're asking too. So just imagine how close you can get. And it doesn't have to be anything drastic. It can be three exercises mm -hmm. and move on. You know, especially with skiing, I, I wouldn't worry too much about cardiovascular stuff, uh, endurance stuff. Yeah. Um, I'd be more concerned with the muscular endurance that comes with the strength training. If someone did any type of biking or elliptical because they wanted to just keep up with heart health, I'm fine with that. But well, right. that's that's for heart conditioning, not for skiing conditioning. Yeah. So, so don't, yeah, we're... By no means saying, okay, you're in season, the only way you're going to keep yourself injury-free is by training just as hard as you were in the off-season four days a week. It's not going to happen. No, that's that's an easy recipe for hurting something, yeah. and then you'll be injured because you did too much, and you didn't allow for ample rest periods. So, all right, anything else that you think we need to share our wisdom about? No, I think we nailed we nailed most of it. That, that, that was pretty thorough in a, in a short period of time, so... You guys know the drill. Adam's going to have everything posted underneath from links to Ascross anything to his training to my full script to anything else that we've talked about. We've shared a lot with you guys, so you know what to expect. Uh, feel free to reach out. Adam's email will be there if you need to get in touch with me. Just ask questions. If it's something that you need help with right away, we're always here for you guys. We're always looking for uh, ideas, um, so we, we want to help you guys out the most. Uh, because you guys uh, feel free to share your wisdom with us. You're, you're nice enough to, to listen to us every week, so we appreciate it. But with that said, uh, we'll come up with a good one for next week, and we'll talk to you guys soon. All right, later, guys. See ya.